If you're turning with me in your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn. Um, we're going to start in Mark, Mark chapter 8. I'm going to be starting in verse 22. If you don't have your Bible, we'll have it up on the screen behind me. But um, starting in Mark 8, 22. And today I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about vision, about your vision, about sight. Um, when you have no vision, you're vulnerable. You know, think about a blind person. They're vulnerable. They don't see anything coming. They, you could attack them. You could sneak up on them and attack them, and they don't see it coming. You know, like when you get that doctor's report, or maybe divorce papers, something that you don't see coming, you're vulnerable if you don't see it coming. Divorce papers makes me to think today is uh, mine and Jesse's 18-year anniversary today, September 22nd. <laughs> Happy anniversary. I said that to Sky the other day. We're riding in the car, and I said, hey, you know, Sunday is mine and mom's anniversary. He said, how long has that been? And I said, it'll be 18 years. And uh, uh, I wrote this down, so I'll make sure I give you... And I quote from Sky, I can't believe y'all didn't get in a divorce yet. <laughs> I think, son, do you think we have a bad relationship or something? He said, no, just most people don't make it that long. It's a really long time. <laughs> uh, but when you don't see something coming, it hurts. Maybe you lost a job, or maybe, I don't know what it was, but if you have no vision, then you're vulnerable, and here's the thing, if you don't see it coming, it can feel like an attack, even if it's not, like if I've got a blindfold on you, I was going to do an example, but never mind. I can just say it quicker. If I have a blindfold on you, if you're blind, if you have no vision, I could be excited to see you and run up and hug you and start patting your back. And if you didn't see me coming and all of a sudden somebody's just all over you and you feel hits, you think you're being attacked. It can feel like an attack. It's easy to get, get mad at God when painful things happen in life. But if our eyes were open, we had vision to see what was really going on, we would understand. What? I'm going to need an example of that, Dusty. Well, good. I'm really glad you asked because I've got one. <laughs> thought you might say that. Me and Jesse were talking this week and remembering when the subject of shots came up. So you have to have all your shots when you're a kid and you're trying to go to school and stuff. And we were taking, Sky just really couldn't handle shots well. He hated it. Freaked out. Like, we have to sit and he was, can we say he was about four years old? 
when we took him, I took him to give him his shots, and I forgot Jesse was doing something, so I had to take him. And usually she would have taken him for stuff like that. And I took all three of the boys. It was so bad that when the nurse came out to give him shots, he started panicking so bad that I had to sit in a seat and hold him and wrap my legs around his legs and hold him so that she could give him a shot. He was about four years old, and he was just freaking out. We go up to the front, and I go to pay. And the lady at the front counter is telling me how much I owed, and I'm pulling out my money. And Sky's just standing there staring at me. And he starts backing up a little bit. I picture he's a little four-year-old kid, and I'm like, why is he looking at me like that? I've never seen my kid look at me like that. As soon as I get done dealing with the lady, I'm like, all right, let's go. And he's just shaking his head. He said, you pay them to hurt us? <laughs> it's easy to get mad at God, at Dad, when painful things happen. But if our eyes were open, or we had the vision to see what's really going on, we were doing it to help him. He wanted to play sports and go to school and all the things that we knew he needed and he had to have shots to do those things and to keep him from getting a disease in the future. He was getting a little bit, and yeah, it was painful in the moment, but the father had enough wisdom to know it's okay. He needs it to do what I need him to do in the future. If he had the vision to see what the father could see, then he could take the pain. But it's hard to take the pain when you have no vision. It's really hard to go through a hard thing in life. It's really hard to go through a moment that seems to crush you or break you if you can't see why. Or if you don't see it coming. You know, they say in, in boxing that it's the one that you don't see coming that will take you out. It's the one you don't see coming that will really hurt you. Y'all ever heard of Harry Houdini? Pretty sure you, you have. And if I were to walk around with the microphone and ask you, what do you know Harry Houdini for? You probably all have different things, but something crazy that he did, something, a death-defying stunt or escape that he got out of something. Or um, Harry Houdini, I was doing a little bit of reading about him, and he would go around bragging and in some of his shows... And he was in pretty good shape. He had a really strong core. And so in his shows, he would brag that he could take a punch, a body shot from any man in the world. And he'd call big, strong guys up during his show and let them just punch him as hard as they could. And it wouldn't even affect him. Wouldn't even phase him. So one day, he's in a dressing room about to do a show or either had just finished a show, I'm not sure. And... There's this guy in there, and the guy says to him, Hey, I heard you bragging about that uh, you can take a punch from anybody. Is that true? Harry Houdini said, Yeah, that's true. And Harry Houdini was sitting on a couch, like a little couch kind of reclined back a little bit. And he said, Yeah, that's true. Dude said, Oh, really? And just went to just beating the brakes off of his stomach, just punched him multiple times. He wasn't ready. He wasn't flexed. He, didn't, he did not see it coming. So it hurt him. 
And he tried to act like it was okay and like it didn't hurt. And the next few days, he was having severe pain and cramps and hurting and all kind of pain going on. And he thought, it's from that dude that beat me up in the dressing room. I didn't see it coming. It was a shot that I didn't see coming. It really hurt me. Well, he ended up having a ruptured appendix. Didn't go get it taken care of because he thought it was from the punches and a lot of people believe it is from the punches that that guy punched him so hard and he wasn't ready that it ruptured his appendix. But either way, it's why he didn't go to the hospital. And the poison got in his blood and that's ultimately what killed him. He died from it. From the shot he didn't see coming. The amazing escape artist, the, the ripped muscular guy that could take shots from any man in the world that he could get out of underwater, chained up, straight jackets, whatever, and a couple of punches from a guy that he didn't see coming. That's what ended up taking him out. He had taken lots of punches, maybe hundreds of punches in his life, but he saw them coming. Here's a side note. I got a word for somebody. You're in pain because of something someone did to you out here. But God wants to open your eyes because there is poison, bitterness inside. And if it's not removed, it will bring death. So we're talking about vision today. About God healing our blindness. But what if it doesn't look like we thought it would? Sometimes God heals in a weird way. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's not an event, but a process. Sometimes it doesn't look like we thought it would look. You ever been praying for something and looking back, you can see that God gave you the answer, but it really didn't come in the way that you thought it was going to come. Or that you thought it should come. I have a bunch of times. I can look back on my life and see like I was praying for an answer. And God gave me the answer. But man it didn't look like I thought it was going to look. It didn't come from who I thought it was going to come from. What if it doesn't look like you thought it would? What if it's a process and not an event? We want, an, we want a miracle to be poof. Yay. But a lot of times it's a process. So we're going to look at a miracle that only Mark recorded. You know, we've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that recorded the life of Jesus. And a lot of them both recorded, they all four recorded some of the same miracles and stuff. But we're going to look at one today that only Mark recorded this one. And Mark, you know, we've talked about it before, but Mark was a little bit different. Uh, Mark, they're all four stories of Jesus's life, but Mark, we'll call him the action guy. Mark really liked the action, whereas John was kind of like more like a love story. If these were movies, John would be the love story of Jesus's life, and, and Mark was more, he was all about the action, right? You can read the book of Mark. He skipped Christmas. He skipped baby Jesus. He didn't even write about Mary and Joseph. He skipped the 12-year-old Jesus that they found in the temple. Talk, no. 
Mark starts his book right when Jesus is getting baptized and starts doing miracles. That's the start of John's book. He's like, nah, let's skip to the good stuff. Skip to the important stuff. When you look at it, a lot of people just think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were just four disciples that were all with Jesus and walked around, but they weren't. Only two of them were. Um, Mark was a young guy, probably a teenager, when Jesus was alive. And Mark's mom, we read in Acts, that Mark's mom let Jesus and the disciples have their meetings and church services in her house when they would come into town when Mark was a teenager. So that's how he got to know Jesus. And the book of Mark is because Mark became a translator for Peter. See, Peter wasn't real educated, and so Mark would go with Peter, and he would translate in Greek. He was Peter's translator, and then he became Peter's writer. So the book of Mark is really Peter's account of these things that happened, and Mark wrote it down for him. So Mark's the young guy, and Mark likes action, and and he's writing down Peter's account. We know that Peter was the big mouth crazy dude. So they recorded this miracle. And as I read it this week, I'm looking like, man, this is a weird miracle. There's several really weird things that happen in this. Some disgusting things happen in this miracle. It's not your average Jesus touches them and he's healed. So we're going to look at that. It's in Mark 8, verse 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And they, we don't even know their names, but they bring a blind man unto him. When you're blind, you need to be brought. I just told you when you're blind, you're vulnerable. They, you need to be brought to Jesus. You can't see. You're at the mercy of the people around you. I mean, they can tell you whatever, and you got to believe them. You got to follow them. You're at the mercy of the people around you. Have you ever felt like something was missing from your life? Or like you just can't see the next step, much less see the future? Maybe you're depending on they, you're depending on other people to get you to Jesus. You're depending on a preacher or a worship team or your grandma or your mama or your daddy or somebody else to get you to Jesus because you're blind. You don't have the sight to get yourself to Jesus. So they brought this man to Jesus and they asked him to touch him. Why? Because everybody Jesus touched was healed. So they didn't ask him to heal him. They just said, hey, touch him. Will you touch this guy? And he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the town. First weird thing about the miracle. They bring him a blind man in Bethsaida. They said, please touch him. Jesus grabbed him by the hand and took off. What? Where are you going? Imagine being the blind guy. You can't see anything. We're taking you to somebody that can heal you. We're going to ask him to touch you. And he's like, yeah, right. This isn't going to work. They get to him, hey, Jesus, here, it's a blind guy. Will you touch him? Jesus grabs him by the hand and takes off. Now he's got to follow him, not knowing where they're going, why they're going, who is this? I'm following it. I mean, 
What's going on here? He took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. Next weird and slightly disgusting thing. It just says, Mark just recorded it like it was normal. And when he had spit on his eyes, if some dude I don't know grabbed me by the hand and led me out of town and spit in my eyes, I'm going to be kind of insulted. That's pretty disgusting. Jesus leads him out of town and spits in his eyes. And then this is really weird. Jesus put his hands on him and then asked him if he saw aught. The NIV says, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? I can't find any other miracles where Jesus asked somebody after he healed them, hey, did it work? Hey, you see anything? Hey, man, how, it, this, it's, like a, it's like a magician saying, was this your card? Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the miracle worker, he, hey, you see anything? Let's see if my spit worked. Oh, let's keep reading. Uh, where are we at? Verse 24. And he looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. What? I see men as trees walking. It's blurry. It's better. I, I can see a little bit, but I, I can't even pick out the real shapes. It, men just kind of look like trees. Everything's kind of blurry. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes, and he made him look up, and he was restored. And he saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house. So the blind guy had a house. He had a home. Saying, neither go unto the town. He said, don't go back to Bethsaida. I know that's where you found me. That's where you were hanging out. But you need to go home. Don't go back to Bethsaida. Nor tell it to any in the town. Well, dang you wouldn't heal him in the town. You took him by the hand, led him out of the town, performed this weird two-try healing. And then you told him, don't go back to the town and don't tell anybody in the town that I healed you. I got a lot of questions. I was hoping one of you could answer them. Jesus told him to go home. Find your place. Connect with your family. There are a few things I want to talk to you about. We'll talk for a few minutes, some things I think God showed me about this story. I want to talk to you about Bethsaida. I want to talk to you about the question, why did Jesus spit? And the third thing, why was it blurry? So we're going to talk about those three things. So the first one, Bethsaida, the city. Jesus leads him out to do the miracle, and he tells him, don't go back. What is this city? 
Why did Jesus lead him out to do the miracle? Why did Jesus tell him, don't go back after I've done the miracle? What's going on with Bethsaida? Well, after doing some digging and some studying, Bethsaida was the capital city of the kingdom Gesher. David married, remember David, our type of Christ, King David, the picture of Christ when he came and killed Goliath and showed us what Jesus would come and do when he would destroy sin. And David, the man after God's own heart. Okay, David married the king of Gesher's daughter and was his wife. She was the mother of Absalom. Absalom was David's son that led the rebellion. Bethsaida was where he went and hid and found refuge when he wasn't willing to repent or reconcile with the father. Bethsaida was where he found safe refuge, harbor. His grandpa was the king there. And that's where he ran away to when he refused to repent. He was forced into hiding. If we refuse to repent or change, or repent is to change directions, we're blind. And it's a place of darkness where we hide from the Father. Look what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty. Matthew eleven twenty. Jesus is getting a little bit upset. Next, Jesus let fly on the cities where he had worked the hardest, but whose people had responded the least. So here's Jesus giving a list of the cities where he had put in the most work, and he worked the hardest, and people responded the least. They didn't believe shrugging their shoulders and going their own way. Doom to you, Trizon. Doom, Bethsaida. So Bethsaida is on Jesus' list for the cities where he had worked the hardest and he's done all these miracles and he's done all these works and all these things and they won't repent. If we read on there, we see that they won't repent. They wouldn't change directions. They wouldn't let the miracles and the works and the teaching that Jesus was teaching, they wouldn't let it change them. They wouldn't believe. Your village affects your vision. Jesus had to take him by the hand and lead him outside of the village to restore his sight. The environment that you're in can keep you from restoration. It can keep you from change. The city that you're in, the people that you're surrounded with can keep you from sin. Jesus had to lead him out. And he told him, don't go back. You know if God gave you a miracle and left you where you are, you would just waste the miracle. God left you right where you are and gave you what you're praying for. You might just waste it. He had vision. And he lost it. See, this man wasn't blind from birth. 
Otherwise, you know, when Jesus said, can you see anything? And he said, I see men and they look like trees. How would a blind man know what men and trees and all that look like? Now, this man could see before. And through some circumstances or through life or through the village, he was at some way, something happened to him that took away his sight. He wasn't blind his whole life. He had vision and he lost it. This was a restoration. So that's why Jesus took him out of Bethsaida and told him, don't go back. The second thing, why did he spit? Now, I read all kind of different commentaries and did a bunch of studying, and some people try to, try to say, well, Jesus' spit was actually a blessing and not, a, not nasty or not an insult. Or, but everywhere I looked up in Scripture... Where somebody got spit on, it's always an insult. And when I think about my life, I mean, if you woke up and spit in my face after service, I'm going to take that as an insult, not a blessing. I mean, I've been spit on a few times in my life. Come to think of it, it was only by family members that knew me well enough to know I wasn't going to beat them up. <laughs> it's never been a blessing. It's never been so, oh, I thank you for spitting in my face. That's wonderful. I love you too. No, it's an insult when somebody spits on you. So I'm like, Jesus, why would you do that? spit on me, I would take it as an insult. And then I start to realize, wait a minute, Jesus was a cereal spitter. He spit on multiple people. And I started looking up all the times that Jesus spit on people. And in Mark 7, they brought him somebody that was deaf and dumb and couldn't speak. You know what Jesus did? Spit on his tongue. That time he took him out of the town too. Yeah, I bet you did. That's disgusting, dude. He stuck his fingers in his ears and spit on the dude's tongue. (sighs) Gangster Jesus. No, this is even more gangster. In John 9, John 9, they also brought him a blind man. Jesus said, okay. They said, can you heal the blind man and touch him? And Jesus is like, Spit on the ground. They're like, why is he spitting on the ground? You imagine his disciples. What the heck is this? What's he doing? He lost it. He bends down and starts mixing up some mud with his spit. Picks up the mud and the blind man's standing there going, what's going on? Am I going to get my healing? <laughs> Jesus sits there and smears mud in this dude's eyes. Did it open his eyes so he could see? Nope. This is how gangster Jesus is. He just said, go wash that off. Bye. And he leaves the dude standing there with his soupy spit mud in his eyes. Spittle, King James calls it. Spittle. 
Thanks, man. Appreciate that. It's just disgusting. He then had to obey and go to the pool that Jesus told him to go to and wash it out of his eyes, and then he received his healing. Well, then everybody was all mad because he got healed on the Sabbath day, and they're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So, you know, all the rulers and the Pharisees, they come to the blind guy that got healed, and they're like, who healed you? And he said, I don't know. I couldn't see him. They're like, man, tell us who it was. And he said, I mean, it said his name was Jesus. They said, where is he? He said, I don't know what he looks like. Go read it. It's in John 9. And then he went into the church and he like heard Jesus talking and he said, hey, wait, that's him? That was it? I heard the voice. Jesus walked around spitting on people. So, why? I asked God while I was studying about this, God, why? And I felt like God said to me, you don't know spit. Just kidding. That wasn't God, that was me. I made that up. Sorry, that wasn't God. <laughs> My bad. That wasn't God. Don't, don't put that in your notes. Uh, don't encourage me. Uh, no matter where you look in the Bible, you will find that it's a great insult to spit on someone or to be spit on. Under the law of Moses, you would be considered unclean. You can see it in Leviticus 15.8 that if you got spit on, you were considered unclean even if you went and washed and you'd have to get rid of those clothes and you were still considered unclean and you had to wait the rest of that day until the sun went down and a new day to come before you could be clean and restored back to the camp and to your family. That's how big of a deal it was to get spit on. It was an insult. It meant you were unclean. You're disgusting. Get out of the camp. Go away from your home. Other scriptures deal with the insult of being spit on. Numbers 12, 14, and Deuteronomy 25, 9. Then, let's look at this one. Matthew 27, 30. Matthew 27, 30. This is right before Jesus went to the cross. Right before he was crucified. And the soldiers, they stripped him naked and they started beating him. And verse 30 says, And they spit upon him. And they took the reed and they smote him on the head. The soldiers were spitting on Jesus. The soldiers spit on him as an insult to show that he had no power. Remember the sign they made that said the king of the Jews and they hung it over him and they laughed at him and made fun of him and they put the crown of thorns on him and they spit on him and they beat the crown of thorns with a stick driving the thorns into his head to say, you've got no power. We've got power. It was an insult. In each case that we just talked about, Jesus spit directly on the problem. The guy that couldn't talk, Jesus spit on the tongue. The guys that couldn't see, Jesus spit on their eyes. Now, if you go back and look at some of Jesus' other miracles... He has 37 recorded miracles. 
And there's a lot more that weren't recorded in the Bible. But we have 37 times recorded that Jesus healed people. And they were all done in different ways. But when Jesus laid hands on somebody to heal them, he didn't touch the part of them that was hurting or the part of them that was diseased or the part. No, he just lay hands on them somewhere. But when I started looking at it, every time Jesus spit on somebody, he spit on the problem. Jesus spit directly on the problem, on the brokenness, on the disease, on what was wrong. I think Jesus was insulting blindness and at the same time giving us a powerful picture of how his bodily fluids would heal us and eventually his blood would open all of our eyes. The third thing, why was it blurry? Like, why did it take two tries? You're Jesus. What was he trying to say? What was he giving us a picture of? Why, why were things blurry? The only hands that can heal touched him. And it wasn't complete. It seemed like Jesus wasn't enough for his problems. You ever felt like that? Fine, God, maybe you're not enough to help me. Maybe I'm too bad. Maybe I'm too far gone. Maybe my situation's out of your control because I asked you for help and it's blurry. And I can't see the next steps to take. It, it doesn't look like I thought it was going to look like. I don't have clear vision. I, I, I'm not focused. Maybe you're not powerful enough for me. Maybe, maybe I'm too far gone. Maybe it's too bad. It wasn't enough. I mean, it kind of worked, right? Like he could see men, but they just looked blurry and like trees moving around like it wasn't. But it did kind of work. How many of us would have faked it? Oh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I can see now. Thank you. Hallelujah. Worship you. I... He had to be honest. He had to tell Jesus, it's better, but I still can't see. It's better, but I, it's still kind of blurry. He was honest about his current state, the current situation that he was in. Or how many of us would just say, well, it's better than it was. I'm okay with it. You know what? This, you know, right now I'm better than I was in my past, so I'm good with just staying where I'm at. I'm okay. I'm a lot better off than I was. There's some people that are still blind. At least I can see blurry men that look like trees. That's better than the blind guys I left back at the colony. We settle. We'll settle for better, not best. The second chance miracle. The try it again. The two-touch miracle. Since when does it take Jesus two tries? Out of all the other 37 recorded miracles, they all happened in one try.
this is the only time it took two. Why? What was he trying to show us? What was he trying to show them? Was trying to show the disciples? I think to see if he would be honest and to get him to focus, to lean in. You know, when it's blurry or like when a picture is loading and it's blurry and you can't see it, what do you do? Uh, you focus, you lean in. You ever been looking at your phone and trying to load a picture and it's blurry and you, you don't even realize you're like leaning in, you're focusing, you're trying to see, you try to see what it is. You lean in. You ever looked at one of those magic eye pictures with like the tons of dots all over it and it just looks like a bunch of dots and if you stare at it and like cross your eyes and it becomes a 3D picture. And it's pretty crazy, but you have to focus. You have to lean in. You have to pretend like you can see it so your siblings don't think you're dumb. Uh, whatever. <laughs> you focus. You lean in. Focus equals discipline. We don't like to hear that, especially the undisciplined ones of us, because it's easier for us to easier for us to admit we're undisciplined. Then, but I'm I'm pretty focused. Mm -mm. Focus is discipline. I can tell you that I'm focused on a six pack of abs, but if my diet and workouts aren't disciplined. I'm not really focused on it. It's just a dream. No discipline. That's not focused on something. If you focus on something, everything else gets blurry. Think about that. Like when you're focusing a picture or something or you're zooming in or if you're shooting a gun and you're focusing on the bullseye, everything else gets blurry except for that one thing and then sometimes well not sometimes every time in life when we get focused on something eventually that target moves and what do we have to do we refocus we can't just stay we got focused one time back in 1981 and I've been focused ever since you have to refocus. It's a process. In life, you refocus and things change and relationships change and you come out of towns and into other towns and you, you, you refocus, you adjust. It's a process, not an event. It's like salvation. It's like a good relationship. I told you earlier, me and Jesse have been married for 18 years our marriage wasn't an event that happened 18 years ago on this date. That was the start of our marriage. And it is a process, a long process. No, I'm just kidding. A process that has been going on for the last 18 years. And it gets better and better with time as we grow together. It's a relationship. 
That's how restoration works. It's not a miracle. It's a process. Think about a piece of furniture that you're going to restore an old wooden piece of furniture. What do you got to do? You got to start sanding and cleaning and using mineral spirits and get layer after layer after layer of paint off of it and scratches out of it and get it back down to the original what the creator intended it to be what the creator intended it to look like you refocus you sand off that layer and then you refocus and get rid of the next layer and the next layer and the next layer and one day you look back and realize it's restored See, this man went from sight, we know that one time he could see, to blind. Then he went from blind to blurry. Then from blurry back to sight. From sight to blind, blind to blurry, and blurry back to sight. Kind of like Adam and Eve. When they were in the garden and perfect and before they chose sin and, and they could see. They had vision. And when we were lost, once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. They could see, right? And then they chose sin. They chose death. So they went to blind. And then it got kind of blurry. We look all through the Bible and we know that the Bible is just types and shadows of Jesus. And we see Jesus and Moses leading the children of Israel out of slavery. And we see Jesus and David and we see Jesus and in, in Joshua and all throughout the Bible. We see pictures of Jesus, but it's still kind of blurry. Like I see, yeah, I see Jesus there and I see him there and, until the cross. When he came with his blood. So that we could see again. On Calvary, hanging there on the cross, he looked at me. You looked at me. And with your blood, you bought me from death. In fact, you brought me from death into life. And I'm in the process of healing. I'm in the process of having my eyes open day after day, glory to glory, step by step. And sometimes I choose darkness. Sometimes I convince myself that it's what I deserve, that I shouldn't be able to see and then I surround myself with people or I choose to live in a town that encourages and enables me to stay the same. But you, you insulted the blindness. And at the same time with your bodily fluids, you started the healing process. And all you asked of me was that I come out, 
come out of where I was and be honest about where I am and go home. That's salvation. He says, come out of where you are. And come out. Come out of this town. Come out of this environment. Come out of this place. Come out of your blindness. Be honest about where you are. And then I want you to go home. See, you have a family. You have a place. Your sons and daughters. I want you to live like you're at home. When I'm in my house, if I get thirsty, I tell Malachi to go get me a drink. No, I'm just kidding. I walk into the refrigerator and open it up and get a drink. I don't ask somebody for permission. Hey, you think I could get a little bit of that orange juice in there? I'm real thirsty. No, I I live like I'm at home. I'm comfortable. I have authority. I have connections and love. He said, go home. Don't go back to the place of unbelief. Don't go back to Bethsaida. So he told the blind guy, blind guy had to do three things. First, he had to follow Jesus' lead, not knowing. Right? He had to trust. Remember, Jesus took him by the hand and led him out before he ever even started the healing process. He had to trust Jesus. He could feel him, hear him. But he still couldn't see. The second thing, he had to be honest. He had to lean in, focus. And the third thing, Jesus told him, don't go back. Don't go back there. Go home. Let's pray. Hey, Dad, it's us, your kids. We're just gathered here in the living room talking about you. And we know that you're here because you've been talking to us. I thank you that you speak to every one of us and that you find us right where we are. God, we want to see. We want a clear vision. Help us to refocus. Help us to trust you enough that when you take us by the hand and lead us, we follow. Even if we don't know where you're going. Help us to be honest when things are blurry. When we can't see. When we don't know what's going on. Open up our eyes. Reveal to us who you are. We love you. Thanks for loving us. Heal us from our sicknesses and our wounds and our brokenness. In Jesus' name. Amen.